0: Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be going over part two of our examination of James White's talk on open theism. We are about 34 minutes into his lecture, his talk on open theism, hearing all his very detailed arguments against open theism. And so we're going to quickly recap what his arguments are, what his points are, just so that the reader or the listener understands what we talked about last time, you know, in case they missed that episode. So, number one, he talked a little bit about football. Uh, Two, he talked a little bit about weather. Uh, He talked a little bit about population sizes of various cities. He talked a little bit about his frustration with people who don't think Paul's letters are written by Paul. He talked a little bit about his undying love for My Little Ponies. He He just talked about all sorts of stuff, but one thing he forgot to talk about is in fact open theism. So let's pick up from where we left off and then uh, we'll see what kind of uh, points he gives us today.
1: I really honestly do not follow any of that. So when I approach this subject, okay, I've got some biases. Then again, so do they. I mean, Dr. Sanders even mentions in his book that one of the major forces that moved him the direction he's moving was the death of his brother in a motorcycle accident. So none of us are immune to those external forces that are out there. We all get caught up in
0: that type of thing. Um, So just briefly this morning. So there is something called cognitive dissonance when you allow your presuppositions to overrule the evidence and uh, you tend to be dismissive of evidence. The one way that Scott Adams points out that we could control for cognitive dissonance is whose predictions turn out to be correct, right? So, so look, uh, look at the Bible, build a framework for open theism. How would the Bible be worded if open theism is correct? How would the Bible be worded if uh, classical theism and all the omnis and ms and immutability, how would the Bible be worded if that was correct? And then you take a look at the Bible and you see which one fits the model better, which one does. Does Isaiah in Isaiah 40 through 48, does he argue like an open theist or does he argue like a Calvinist would? The stories about God in the Bible, are they worded in such a way that they are meant to be taken seriously? Are they inputted with ideas of changing, with emotion, with uh, God reacting to new information? Is is that how it's worded or is it worded in such a way where God is sitting outside of time with all this information and uh, with his uh, carefully crafted plans from all of eternity. How is the Bible worded? How is it written? And look at the evidence. Look at any random Bible story and that will, whichever model predicts how the Bible stories are written, how the biblical text is written, that's going to be your correct model. And so I I think because we have secular scholarship, basically on the side of open theism and they're they're kind of a neutral third party. I mean, they have no reason to claim that the Jews thought one god over a different god. People might say, "Oh, they just want to discredit Christianity." Well, look at these people who care about broad religious traditions across cultures, and what do they think about how Israel viewed Yahweh? Right? And uh, which side do they take? And then you look at the evidence and you look at the frameworks we just discussed and how is the Bible written? Really, really, the Calvinists have to engage in a massive amount of cognitive dissonance in order to get over, they, they use their emotions, their presuppositions, his biases, which he just talked about, they use those biases to override the text and to force on the text their theology. I would like to uh,
1: address this issue of open theism, and if you're not familiar with it, hopefully you will be. Uh, If you've not encountered it, hopefully if you see it coming into your church, you'll be familiar with it. 35 minutes in. At the very least, even if it's not a possibility in your context, thinking about these things will again prompt us to consider the, the, the truths of God's great and glorious sovereignty, most of you are familiar with these words: "God, from all eternity, did by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet, so as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of
0: second causes taken away." But, yeah, nothing like what you're talking about sounds like it's from the Bible, right? There's there's no biblical passage that backs this up. It's just words, right? And so this is what you're elevating, and let's go hear what you elevate. Rather established,
1: that is the historic statement of the Westminster Confession, also found the London Baptist Confession of 1689 in, in, in almost word for word, as far as that goes. And it is the assertion of God's absolute sovereignty and the grounding in that sovereignty of the will of man,
0: and the fact that God uses secondary causes. So what he's elevating to this uh, godlike status are these uh, creeds that a group of people get together and they come up with and they write it all down. And uh, James White's like, oh, look at this uh, council. They got together and they said this. Wow. And he'll, he'll strategically ignore certain councils that he doesn't agree with, like the council that condemned uh, Calvinism was at uh, the Council of Orange, something like that. I'd have to pull up my resources. But, you know, you have to strategically pick which councils. Oh, that council was a heretical council, or that council didn't count, or uh, the Catholic, uh, their, their things don't count. It's It's very subjective. And what it's doing is it's elevating man's words. It's elevating man's thoughts above the Bible. And why? Why? Were these concerns, were the concerns that are being addressed and ironed out in these confessions, were those biblical concerns? If, if the Bible authors cared so much about these concerns, why didn't they put it in the Bible? Why isn't there clear teaching in the Bible that backs up everything that uh, they talk about? It's really, it's really, they're addressing their modern concerns in their time, in their age And they're not addressing biblical concerns. And James White says, oh, we need to take these people's words above that of the Bible. Secondary
1: means for the accomplishment of his ends. Well, obviously, it is that very statement that open theism says, no way. No way. Such a God cannot be
0: personal. Such a God cannot be interactive. Such a God cannot be human. So who's he responding to right now? Is, is that all open theists? All open theists say, no way, because we need a personal God. Or do some open theists say, no way, because the biblical text specifically does not describe that, right? So a lot of people, they conflate all open theism and they put it all under the same banners. And then they think that responding to one part of open theism is responding to all of open theism. It's absolutely not. And uh, you'll hear it in debates and people say, oh, Greg Boyd says this and that's what open theism is and this is why it's a heresy. Well, there's open theists who believe open theism for not those reasons, but for other reasons. Have you addressed their concerns? Are their concerns heresy? Have you even got to the root of the issue? Or are you strawmanning or are you generalizing things that qu- aren't quite generalizable like that? So if open theism is just united in the rejection of, of Greek attributes such as immutability and uh, timelessness and uh, exhaustive foreknowledge of the future, address those issues. Don't address the philosophical concerns which vary among open theists. Thomas J. Ord wants something that's non-coercive, something that uh, where God works with humans in a, in a non-forceful way boyd accepts a little bit more coercive type of actions there's people like walter bergerman who come from almost a strictly textual basis for open theism but and these people james white lumps them all together and thinks that just refuting one side or talking about one side means you're talking about it all it's not it's 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 a form of straw manning really
1: Mm. Now, they would not use that term. Well, I'll take that back. Most would not use that term. I think there are some who would. And I think as open theism continues to develop, and it is developing, if any of you have heard the debate that Dr. Sanders and I did at RTS, uh, in response to one of my questions, he did reply by saying, well, look, open theism is fairly new. We haven't figured out all the passages yet. You've had hundreds of years to get your story straight. Um, so think about that one for a few seconds and you'll, you'll see why I sort of chuckle a little bit at that particular point in time,
0: the heart. So we talked a little bit about, uh, scholars and how they talk about the tension in the text. And remember from the last episode, James White doesn't like the scholarly opinion that there's any tensions in the Bible whatsoever. So the scholarly opinion about the Bible, the secular scholarly opinion is that not even the biblical authors had all their theology lined up right. And James White, if he's consistent in his theology, he's going to have to admit that because there's a lot of Psalms that are written not from divine providence, not from divine determinism. These Psalms are written from uh, God's abandonment. God, why did you abandon me? Your righteous are dying. And you you are negligent in your duties, God. Basically, that's the claim. And in Job, there's the claim there as well. And so if those writers are writing real theology, Jewish theology, then he has to admit that even Jewish theology had tensions between itself. And so this little chuckle line that he has, and the the people in the audience are like, (laughs) okay, yeah, you're not biblical scholars. You're not. The Bible has these tensions. And for you to just say, oh, there has to be this uh, systematic theology that we all rubber stamp and it has to be perfect and divine and and we got it figured out and and you have to literally reject the Bible to force your systematic theology on. Yeah, go ahead, laugh it up. Of open theism. You
1: read Pinnock, and Pinnock is the bleeding edge, okay?
0: Uh, Pinnock, um, Pinnock, did anyone... I'd really say Ord would be that bleeding edge, but let's keep going. Ever
1: know Clark Pinnock back when he was a conservative? Uh, I'm sorry, you're too young to know that. <laughs> I was gonna say, and you were three at that time. <laughs> um, yes, he, he had like the, the ugly green book on inerrancy from the 1970s was, uh, was not bad at all. Uh, there was a time when Clark Pinnock was a conservative. He ain't no more. Uh, not only is he an open theist, uh, but he believes in post-mortem evangelization. He's an inclusivist, uh, uh, denies the existence of, of,
0: of, of uh, conscious punishment in hell, and you name it. And So there's there's a thing that John Lott said. John Lott is an economist, uh scholar. He wrote the book, More Guns, Less Crimes. And you look at which way the scholarship switches. Is the scholarship switching from... You know, when people actually have changes of heart, are they moving away from open theism or are they moving towards open theism when they do have that change of heart? And in that way, you could see where the intellectual honesty is. If open theists aren't converting to Calvinism and if uh, Calvinists and uh, inerrantists and uh, traditional Christians are more converting to open theism and vice versa, you know that it, it takes a bigger change of heart. It takes a bigger social hit to change from conservative theology to open theism, and scholars are doing it like Pinnock. There's got to be a reason. You can't just dismiss that offhand and just say, oh, he's a terrible guy because he switched. Why did he switch? Why was it that this theology was able to take a guy like Pinnock, who was a conservative, and switch him to what James White labels as a liberal, right? Where's the switches in theology coming? And that's another tip-off for intellectual... Integrity, intellectual honesty. Which position is more our basic understanding, our default position about the Bible? And and that's where he's
1: gone. And um, he's he's out here. And then you have Gregory Boyd. He's sort of over here. He's not not fully really an inclusivist, but he's an open theist. And you got John Sanders. And John Sanders is is. Uh, well, John Sanders more than once sort of smiled a rather sly smile during the course of our debate whenever I'd quote Clark Pinnock. Uh, because And I saw, he didn't put quite put it this way, but I, I saw in his face uh, sort of the thought, oh, I wish Clark would be a little more careful with his words. And uh, he didn't really want to be held accountable for, for everything that Pinnock said, which I understand. I mean, that, that's, that's certainly a fair thing.
0: There are a few folks on my side of the fence. Um. So what's he doing quoting uh, Clark Pinnock in a debate with John Sanders? Shouldn't you debate the person you're actually debating with? Right? And does is John Sanders, does he have to agree with everything Pinnock says about everything? And furthermore, is open theism that uh, much of a crux of an issue where everyone who agrees in open theism agrees in the basic tenets? Or is it one of these side issues like like amillennialism versus premillennialism versus postmillennialism that, you know, you could be a Calvinist and be any one of the three, you could be an open theist and be any one of the three. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. These, these issues are, if they're not basic issues that people surround every single belief on, it's, it's not, it's a side issue that can be imported onto any Christian sets of belief. Really?
1: Um, That I wouldn't necessarily want to be accountable for everything they said either. Uh, But um, you have this this range of of perspectives. And the one thing that holds them all together, the one thing that I really find to be absolutely central in their perspective, is not free will. Because you know that Augustine used free will. You know that Calvin used free will. Everybody uses the term free will. It's what you mean by that that is important. What is at the central of open the very heart of open theism is libertarian
0: free will. A free will unfet- <laughs> A free will unfettered. Okay, so what a, there's there's a free will that's uh, coerced and that people can't control that's determinism. So you believe in determinism and then you hijack words such as will, will. Does a robot have a will? Maybe. Maybe you could say the programming is the will of the robot. And therefore, it's a fatalistic, deterministic will. But most people wouldn't say that a robot has a will. The robot has no choice but to do other than how it's programmed. It has to do according to its programming. When someone has a will, when God has a will, when we have a will, that means that we have options. We we don't have to follow whatever coding, whatever basic instincts we have, we could choose otherwise, right? So every time we talk about a will, it should be equated with free will, and it should be equated with libertarian free will. You get redundancy and double redundancy once you start adding these adjectives. Any will is a free will. Any will is libertarian free will. If it's not, it's not a will. It'd be the same thing as saying a robot, a synthetic uh, cyborg creature, not cyborg, it's half human, but like an android, has a free will. They don't. They don't. They 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 have to act according to their programming. fettered by a decree of God, unfettered by divine sovereignty, outside of all of them. So do Open Theists say that? That people have to have a will that is unfettered by divine sovereignty? What What does that mean, unfettered? You know, I I could... And and if that's his definition, then there doesn't even have to be a God. Pretend there's no God. Atheism's true. I have a gun on me. I go pointed at someone and say, you go uh, mow my lawn or else I'll shoot you. Oh, no. Now they don't have free will anymore because there's a fetter on it. Look, me, Chris Fisher, I destroyed the concept of free will. Now everything's determinism. No, no. Open theists don't claim that. James White, you're making that up. You're making that up because you're building a straw man open theists don't say God, they don't say that God cannot coerce someone into an action. And even coercing someone into an action, that's not a violation of their free will. That's changing their incentives. They still have the ability to decide, but uh, you're changing the incentives for which decision they pick. If I offer someone money to mow my lawn, I'm changing their incentives. That doesn't mean their free will is violated Oh no, now they're more inclined to mow my lawn because they want money. Oh, no free will. How can we ever live in this world without free will? That's not how it works, James White. That's not how it works. I would at least say this. God is sovereign to
1: create droughts and earthquakes and natural disasters of, uh, of Hurricane Charlie, for example. Uh, drew a bead on Tom Askell's house. Uh, in-
0: Make sure it's still running. So, did we just lose audio? Apparently, their uh, their audio. There's a 45 mile out. an hour wind
1: whipping around outside, uh, which causes you to contemplate the smallness of your your life and its possible brevity, uh, as well. And uh, but uh, God is God is free to. Basically, mess with nature is uh, is is sort of the viewpoint.
0: What can you quote anyone who just says that that God's only thing he could do is mess with nature, and he can't mess with people? What? And therefore,
1: our wills can you know sort of get messed up because you know if you're in the middle of a uh, of a 145 mile an hour wind, you may decide your free will may say I'm going to go walk the dog right now. Uh, but the reality is not going to allow you to go walk the dog. You and the dog may fly, but you're not going to be walking. Uh, So they will at least say on that level that when God decides to whip a hurricane across central Florida, which he does every decade or so, uh, that uh, our wills at that point don't really get to say much about it. Where are you getting this? What? Where are you getting this? Uh, But outside of that,
0: outside of natural disasters... Uh, a liber- okay, you've already contradicted yourself. Do open theists think that any restraint on free will is a restraint of free will and free will doesn't exist anymore? Or, or do open theists understand how wills work, that people act based on incentives? And sometimes there's, there's physical constraints to the extent of what people can actually carry out and accomplish. I might have the will to fly... I still have the will to fly, but because gravity exists, I just can't do it, right? That doesn't change my will, right? James, well, I don't think you know what you're talking about.
1: Libertarianly free will is a will that when faced with a choice uh, cannot be determined. Hence, uh, that free will can choose A or B, and God cannot in any way, shape, or form uh, impact that without denying, uh, to the creature in the words of Norman Geisler,
0: his, his humanity. Uh, all right. Yeah. So a will can choose something I could will to fly, but I might have physical limitations. Me carrying out my will is different than me choosing a will. Does that make sense? Does James White get this? I don't think he gets this and he imposes his own thoughts of what open theists should believe. And He puts these ridiculous straw men, who argues that? Who says God can only determine earthquakes and anything else is just too much? Who, what, what? Even Ord talks about uh, God's persuasion, right? Right, that God's working with people, working together. So what open theists, what quote, or are you just making this up? Uh, For
1: a person committed to libertarian free will over against a compatibilist view, which is what I would hold, Uh, A person committed to that perspective uh, really believes that the idea of, of the previous screen there in regards to God's sovereignty dehumanizes man, turns man into a mere puppet on the string, which you have heard probably many, many times. This becomes the central focus. Everything else in the system has to support this central platform, including the doctrine of God. Now, historically... Uh, reformed folks have made the doctrine of God
0: the platform that then becomes the ground and basis for So Enyard does something very interesting with this because he, he understands that Calvinists are obsessed with this uh, the sovereignty ideas or something stupid like that and uh, he he turns it around on him and he says open theism is really a question of the nature of God can God do something new can God change the future what he knows will exist. Can God, can he create a new song? Can God create a new creation? Or is God trapped? Is God stuck in fate? And guess what? The Calvinists, they don't know what to do. There, there's, a, there's a phone call audio recording, Bob Enner calling up this radio station who's criticizing open theism. And he brings this up and, and the host is flabbergasted. He's like, ah, open theists, I don't know. They, they believe something else. That's not the issue. And Bob Ender's like, I'm an open theist. I'm telling you what the issue is. The issue is the nature and character of God. Is God free? Is God free? And what would even Arminians say about that? Is God free? Can God do stuff or is God stuck in fate? If God is stuck in fate, guess what? That makes him a weak and pathetic God. Calvinists worship a pathetic God who can't do anything new and is is basically irrelevant to the world at large because he's just a character and he's stuck in this eternal action that has been predetermined. So since he's eternal and timeless, he never decided anything, he never carried anything out, and he's just as stuck as we are. And there's no difference between not having a God and having a God at that point. Because what, what does he actually do? What? He's he's just he's just a feature of this universe. He's nothing. He's nothing in Calvinism. Only in open theism. Is God a living actor that gives contributions to the universe? He could create the universe. His decisions could have effects, and he's meaningful. Outside of open theism, God is meaningless. For everything else, which
1: I would argue is, sounds fairly logical. I mean, you sort of start with God, and then you don't define God on the basis of what God creates, if you define God, especially on the basis of a fallen creation, you can end up with some
0: pretty goofy ideas of God. That's sort of what man's religion So I thought man was made in God's image, and God created the entire creation, and he said, this is good. Everything's good. He creates it, and it's good. He creates man. Man's good. So does James White, does he think that Adam was fallen? Does he think that Adam was, uh, uh, what's their, their Calvinist ideas, that he was... Uh, he was totally depraved and he can't do anything good. He was born with a sin nature was Adam or was Adam part of God's beautiful, good creation. And if he's stuck in fate and he's this good creation without any sin or evil in him, how did he become evil? How does that work? But Calvinism, it doesn't make rational sense Their Their theology falls apart under very rudimentary examinations of their belief. And, uh, it's just, it's not even biblical. it's not biblical. he still hasn't opened up the Bible. We're at 40 42 minutes and 41 seconds into this and there's no Bible. He just keeps talking his own philosophy, his own he tells us about the sports and the weather and he talks about uh, his his time at a hospital or whatever. Uh, he doesn't give us anything of substance. you're not talking substance and that's pretty sad. In this uh, two-hour talk on open theism, he doesn't deal with actual open theist positions, and he doesn't deal with the Bible, right? Not yet, not yet. Religion does, um, but open theism is very clear about what it's central. Yeah, it's almost like he's stalling. Maybe, maybe the event organizers said, you, you have two hours to talk, and he says, well, I only got an hour worth of material, and so I'm just going to fill it with fillers that have no relevance to my talk at all. Is that what happened? Instead of taking your time, reading actual open theist writings, responding to their actual points, responding to their responses to your proof texts, because they exist, James White, at whenever this speech was given, they exist where open theists talk about your favorite proof texts. And Sanders, I remember he had like a cascading list of reasons why Psalms 139 didn't mean what James White thinks it means, but James White did he address that? Does he address that in this speech? And he alludes to Psalms 139 as one of his key reasons for being, for not questioning God's sovereignty and God knowing our birth and death times. Do you know what John Sanders says about that? The proof text you reference? Can you counter them? Are you going to do that in this speech? No, you're not. You're not. You're going to fill it with fillers or nonsense that sports teams and, and weather, and you're not going to talk about open theism, are you? affirmation is uh, and that is
1: for man to be man and for true interaction to take place there must be libertarian free will and so that becomes the ground floor and that becomes what cannot be possibly denied well the problem with
0: that then god has libertarian free will god does god does do you deny that james white you demean god you say he's a weak incompetent God that's faded in this uh, eternal now that he can't do anything. He can't accomplish anything. He can't do anything. He's weak. He's weak. And becomes, what will tomorrow bring for open theism? That is, this is not a system that has finished its development. As opposed to Calvinism, which says, what will tomorrow bring? And whatever ever it does bring will be like really bad. Like someone gets cancer and someone dies. Oh, that's just God's will. He's just torturing us for his own greatest glory. Brilliant. It, you, you don't solve any problems with Calvinism. It's not like, oh, I have faith that everything's going to turn out right. No, God, God brings people into existence just to damn them and torture them for eternity in Calvinism. Yeah, you, you should have zero faith that things are going to be all right if Calvinism was true. Zero, because what God does is he, he tortures people for no apparent reason. And he eternally elects people to be tortured for all eternity. So that, that doesn't give me the warm fuzzies. He eternally elects to have your kids killed for his greatest glory. It's not this eternal plan for your, your own greatest good. It's his sadistic plan for his own greatest glory. There, there's no confidence there. There's no confidence there. It's sadistic. Sadism. If Calvinism is true, God is a sadist.
1: In fact, the very term itself only came about a little over a decade ago in its current usage. And why was that? Because they were very, very, very concerned to differentiate themselves from another system, which I'm trying to remember if I have up here. Uh, We've already talked about these guys, haven't we? Uh, Especially Clark Pinnock is very, very concerned to separate open theism from what other movement process theology. Now, if you're not familiar with process theology, uh, you're a blessed person. (laughs) Um, uh, My systematic theology class was was sort of unusual. My whole theological education has been unusual, but I took systematic theology from a a professor who had just graduated from Fuller with his PhD in systematic theology. This is the first class he ever taught.
0: (laughs) All right, so now here's another thing James White does in his debates. He tries to uh, poison the well, so to speak. So he he takes these groups he doesn't agree with and he just compares them to other groups that uh, people already don't like to try to give them a bad name and to not give them a fair hearing. So he compares open theists to Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons or process theology. And notice, he hasn't he hasn't addressed any points yet. We're 44 minutes in. He hasn't talked about the Bible. He hasn't talked about actual open theist positions. He's strawmanning and poisoning the well. And uh, one of his hobbies uh,
1: was to study process theology. Now, Now, when someone has the hobby of studying process theology, that gives you some idea of what's going on here. And so he gave us just a tremendously detailed rundown of process theology. And And as with everything in this class, the the format of the presentation of any subject was here's a movement, a belief, a doctrine. Here's the
0: pros, here's the cons. We move on from there. And I remember once during a break. So this is a talk on open theism. He's spending an inordinate amount of time on process theology. Great. Thank you, James White. Thank you for this interesting and fascinating lecture we were walking over to a snack shop and there was an attorney taking classes and we were walking along. He goes, well, that's is this story going to go anywhere? Is anyone taking bets? I will bet against it that this story goes anywhere. He's just telling a story for the story's sake again, again. All very interesting. But what do we
1: believe about that? What we believe was never really a subject of the systematic theology class, because like I said, it was more a section of the of the history department than it was anything else. But uh, he gave us a tremendously detailed overview of process
0: theology. And I'll try to be very brief in defining. <laughs> what? There's nothing. The stories didn't have any purpose. Thank you. Thank you for the story. My life is enriched. So you can see the difference between it and open theism, because they're very concerned about it. Process theology
1: envisions the universe going in and out of existence in these discrete packets of
0: time. They're very short packets of time, so we don't... Okay, so I heard this all a long time ago, and you try to talk to any process theologians anywhere, and no one could confirm this stuff, and you can't really Google this stuff. So I think he's making up stuff about process theism. I'm not a process theist expert, and uh, I can't confirm wh- if this is what they believe or not, but find a process theist that actually takes this position. I think he'd be hard-pressed. But go on James White. And uh, build this weird idea of process theism. Don't notice it,
1: um, but the universe is actually going in and out of existence on this this continuous basis. And God, in process theology, has no coercive power over the universe; he only has persuasive power. And so, when the universe, in these little teeny tiny packets of time, we're talking nanoseconds, okay, so. That's why we never see it; is it's it's just so fast. Is is that when the universe comes into existence, God is exerting his his persuasive power to convince the universe. Well, the way we used to put it at the time was was to join the army because the idea was to be the best you could be.
0: And our theology. Listen, James White, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Okay, let's see if we can't fast forward and get past all this.
1: Talking nanoseconds, Okay, military, but
0: even
1: you—you want—you want libertarian free will. Uh, rocks have will in this perspective. Uh, molecules have will in this perspective. Seriously, in fact, disease, Seriously? For example, is where a cell. You're not making stuff not up. To be. Let's fast forward again. Is the fact that the God of process theology bears. Still no process theology to the God
0: of the Bible. <laughs> We're about 50 minutes in and no Bible.
1: <laughs> and I was like, yes, a, a black and white statement, a true-false statement. Yes, it's, it, this is very good. Uh, as you can tell, I didn't get a lot of those in, in, uh, in some of my seminary classes. So I was sort of pumped when that, we finally got one. And, of course, it's true. There, there is no similarity uh, to the God of the Bible of the God of process theology. But... In open theism and process theology, the future is
0: open. It's more open in process theology than it is in open. (laughs) And they got this, they got this one thing in common. And so, and so that's why they're, they're bosom buddies and whatever, dude, whatever that your story was worthless. Your entire bringing up process theology was poisoning the well and it just wasted everyone's time. Open theism
1: and Clark Pinnock, especially is very sensitive to the charge of process theology. Because what's the thing that really, when I was going over that brief introduction
0: to process theology, what's the thing that really... You ever argue with a social justice warrior or something? They're like, you're a Nazi. No, I I hate Nazis. In fact, I think all Nazis should die. You're a Nazi. What? What? Okay, so James White is the social justice warrior, third wave feminist. He argues like one. And uh, open theists are like, we're not process theists. And he's like, yeah, you are. We're not. We, We don't like process theology. We're not process theists. And he's like yes you are yeah yes you are they're they're denying it they say they don't agree with it they don't agree with it how how are they process theists because they have one thing in common what one thing do they believe all this nanosecond crap that you're you're talking about james white do they believe that they don't they don't and so you you build this weird idea of process theology no no open theist endorses process theology right right I mean, Ord would be the closest open theist, mainstream open theist, to a process theologian. Even he's not a process theologian. He thinks that God can act and God can do stuff, right? What, what are you doing? What are you doing with this speech? Fifty minutes in. really bothers you about that. God is
1: learning and growing and getting better. What an odd concept for us to contemplate. And so they want to avoid that, but the problem is... In open theism, God's learning as well.
0: Yeah. yeah in fact, God is surprised. In the Bible, he learns. He's surprised at what we do. In the Bible. In the Bible, these things literally happen. So, so why don't you open the Bible to turn to those incidences and deal with them rather than just injecting your crazy theology onto the Bible? And so that would involve a
1: gaining of knowledge, a gaining yes. of, of of
0: Like the Bible describes. Experience
1: as well. Is yeah. God better at dealing with humans now than he was a thousand years ago?
0: Yeah. Well, thir- thousand. Okay. Let's, 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 let's go over Genesis. What happens in Genesis six, he looks down and sees all of mankind has fallen, rejected him, Their thoughts are continuously on evil and he regrets his own action in making man. Then he finds a man who, uh, you know, he, he finds Noah and decides to save him. And, and by, Virtue would be related to Noah. He saves Noah's family. After the flood, he resolves never again to destroy a man. And what is the reason? What is the reason? He says, because man's thoughts are evil from their youth. What? Isn't Isn't that the reason he destroyed man? So he's not destroying man ever again for the same reason that he destroyed man in the first place. He's lowering his standards. He has learned about man. This is not just me saying it. Kline's is saying it christine hayes is saying that so christian and secular scholarship also agrees with what's going on here what the story says about god's learning how to interact with man and after god makes man of course we have the scene where god puts him in the garden and brings the animals to see what those animals would be called by adam he wants to see what adam's going to call these animals he's learning about man he's learning to interact with them and even in the fall he says i'm going to kill you if you eat this apple, or it wasn't even an apple, it was a fruit, just a fruit. The apple was a later retro direction onto the old Testament. He's like, if you eat this fruit, I'm going to kill you. And then they eat the fruit. And he's like, well, okay, I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to expel you from this area. It's not a spiritual death. There's, there's nothing in Genesis about people spiritually dying. And and now there's this switch where now, now people are mortal before they're immortal. You don't find it's, that's, that's interjection on the text. So you really, throughout the story of Genesis, after God first creates man, it's, it's a learning process. It's God growing. And his first reaction to man's rebellion is not anger. You find anger a lot in the Bible when people reject God. But it's sadness. He's sad. He's like, my creation is, has, has withdrawn from me, has rejected me, has it's become evil. And so, yeah. You find in the Bible, God learning how to deal with man. And he's he becomes callous towards man sometimes. He becomes callous towards Israel sometimes. they They keep working him up to a state where he's like, I don't care. I don't care anymore. I'm going to kill you guys. I'm not going to listen to your pleading because I'm done with you guys. I am done. So you really see his frustrations. You see changes in how he deals with people based on circumstances. And it's a growing process. This is the Bible we're talking about. It's not your Greek mythology, James White. If you aren't better at (coughs) your job, 10 years into
1: it, are you still going to have a job?
0: Well, if God, well, maybe if you work for the government,
1: God isn't better at dealing with human beings now than he was a thousand years ago. So could God have done a better job than, you know, you know, maybe that's why we had the flood.
0: Yeah. Yes. He says, I regret my own action in making man. Do you care about the text? Do you care about the text? You don't, James White. You just care about your theology and you'll just dump it over the Bible and throw out all the biblical stories and the biblical texts. And who cares about what the Bible says? You got your own James White theology.
1: New job jitters. You don't know. Uh, let's start this whole thing all over again. You know? <laughs> I don't know. James White, you're so funny. How funny, dude. Quick summary statement. The future does not yet exist. Yeah. Therefore, God does not know it. He is created in such a fashion that the future is partly closed that those things he will do, uh, almost entirely in the natural realm, fires, earthquakes, tornadoes, uh, hurricanes, asteroids, I guess, would fall into that realm. And
0: partly open, all those things related to the actions of free creatures. Hence... Okay, okay. Please quote people making these points because you just saying it and then mocking it is sounds very straw man-y. It doesn't sound like a serious scholarly work on the issue, right? Right. So the the future is partly open and partly closed. Like tomorrow, I am going to go to work. That part is closed. I'm gonna I'm going to work. I'm going to work. It's gonna happen. And uh, you know, if you doubt me, contact me after this podcast airs, and asked me if I went to work. And uh, let's, let's do a bet first. If you're going to call me, if you're going to send me an email, put 100 bucks on the line, and I'll give you 10 to 1 odds I'm going to work. I'll give you 100 to 1 odds, 100 to 1 odds. And so yeah, in that sense, the future is closed, and I can determine what the future is going to bring because I get to decide the future. I get to decide the future because I have the power to make it happen. In that sense, it's closed. It's not closed in this fatalistic sense where it's determinism and it's a real event in the future that already exists to be referenced by knowledge. Remember, these Calvinists, they want to redefine knowledge. Knowledge has to be against de facto things, objects that actually exist, like an event happens, then that event exists to be known. So the future must also exist in that sense in order to be an object by which knowledge is known about it. And the knowledge, it can't flow to God. God has to have internally this knowledge from all of creation, and this excludes experiential knowledge. God can't know what it's like to be me. He he doesn't know what it's like to be powerless in the sense that I don't have uh, God's divine powers. But I do have, I have limited amount of power, right? He doesn't know what it's like to have my limited power And uh, no hope of uh, your own salvation, right? So if if God decided to become a deistic God and just leave the entire world, I I can't determine my own salvation. He has to give us that, his power. I don't have that power, do I? So God doesn't know what that's like to be like me and in that situation. That's experiential knowledge. So James White wants a particular knowledge, he wants to exclude certain types of knowledge, he wants to make it uh, internal knowledge, and he wants to interject this all onto the Bible. Right? And so, you know, you know, James White, your your views aren't biblical. The term open theism, there is an openness in the future and an openness
1: in God's knowledge as well. they vehemently insist they are not promoting a simply more orthodox form of process theology, the concept that God is growing, changing and learning each
0: passing moment, but at the same time. That's yeah, traditional Jewish theology and Jews believed this for a long time. We had, uh, Dov Weiss on the program to talk about developments in Jewish theology, you're not going to claim that the Jews were process theologians. Are you,
1: they have to admit that in their system, God is learning with the passage of time as he himself experiences the future. So. They insist that the picture of God found his interaction with mankind depends on, uh, demands an open view of the future. God learns that Abraham will be faithfully obedient in Genesis 22. Mm -hmm. He uses terms like perhaps and if and makes conditional promises about Eli's sons uh, that do not come
0: true. Many feel there is truly no basis in the position for the doctrine of inerrancy, let alone the. So does this count as opening the Bible? 52 minutes in. It's, It's still kind of illusions. He's still not kind of dealing with it. Eh,
1: we'll see. ...concept of biblical prophecy, nor any means of identifying a false prophet. In other words, um, upon what basis, upon what grounding in open theism, uh, can one come up with biblical prophecy?
0: That is one of its biggest problematic areas. Okay, so are you going to talk about how open theists respond to that? The same thing is true of inerrancy because it would seem well, well, well what you so you're not gonna talk about how open theists respond to those charges all right go on go on that each one of these individuals boyd's avoided it more than anybody else has but both uh pinnock and uh um uh- if you remember back to the first episode he's like i'm trying to be fair to open theists i'm trying to quote them accurately what what? This is quoting them accurately? This is accurately representing them? As if open theists have no response to questions about prophecy. right? You're not going to present any of those responses. Or or you just not know because you're so concerned in your own world, you don't care to actually understand what your opponents believe. Uh, thank you, Sanders. The guy I debated. Uh, the guy
1: I drove down to Orlando with in the car, and, and we played basketball at somebody's house beforehand. Um, 50, he's got a killer 15-foot jumper. He's, uh, he's very wiry. Um, uh, they have more directly addressed this issue. And most of you know, at uh, the Evangelical Theological Society meeting last year, um, they attempted to remove Clark Pinnock and John Sanders, Boyd's actually not a member, so you can't remove somebody who's not a member, um, on the issue of inerrancy and failed. They were unable to do so. And so, in essence, uh, you, know, you know, I questioned the validity of that approach to begin with. Uh, I think the issue should be, well, if, if ETS does not want to make God's exhaustive knowledge of the future a part of its statement of faith, then live with the results. You know, this seemed to me like going in the back door. Though, I would, I would also say that I think there's good reason to question uh, their doctrine of uh, and their commitment to inerrancy. There's no two ways about it. Okay,
0: couple. Let's let's talk about the major issues. So you think that no one could be an open theist unless they they uh, hold to your doctrine of inerrancy? There's no one who could take the Bible as inerrant and be an open theist. Why is it that secular scholarship believes that ancient Israel were open theists? Right, right. It's because the Bible is very explicit in the fact. And so someone could be a biblical inerrantist and be an open theist. In fact, that's the default position.
1: Obviously, the big issue is sovereignty and immutability and all the things that flow from that. Does God have a purpose? Did
0: God know that... uh, So I, I have a few James White books and he doesn't talk too much about immutability he doesn't talk about uh you know i would like to see him give a good treatment of immutability simplicity and perfection because that's that's where you really find the pagan aspects of of calvinism and uh classical theism at its most prominent when they're dealing with these issues and i'd like to see how he deals with that and integrates that into his theology why does he avoid these issues I mean, maybe they exist somewhere, I'm just not aware of them, but in every book that I have of his, and I think I've even done some Google searches to try to figure out if he has any talks on immutability and simplicity, it's just not there. Why not? Why not? Why can't you tell us about these very important doctrines that you just right here identify as very important? Eric here was going to exist when he created. The open theist says no. You covered this already? At like like uh, about 50 minutes ago, you covered this. We're we're at 54 minutes and still no Bible.
1: How then can God have a purpose for Eric's life?
0: Well, I guess He makes. <laughs> I have a purpose for my own kids' lives. Is my purpose immutable and eternal? James White, you're supposed to be you're supposed to be scholarly. You're supposed to have at least basic intelligence, right? You, you can't have a purpose for someone's life unless it was eternal from uh, before time began. No, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Sit up as he goes along. The problem
1: is, Eric, you quit. You, you don't cooperate with everything God wants to do. That's called sin. And so each time we mess up that process, evidently that plan for our life has to be rebuilt
0: and redesigned it's it's almost as if the biblical stories of about how god interacts with human beings are true oh we can't have that my name's james white but what if
1: i all of a sudden we do live in arizona
0: i I live in arizona we not please no more no more weather no more population city sizes please please spare us sort of majestic we i guess um i live in
1: arizona and uh we have uh, we have something in arizona called the second amendment to the constitution of the united states which most of the rest of you don't have uh any longer
0: and uh, so uh i remember when i first moved into arizona I, I freaked out uh crossing my fingers please be a relevant story please please have a point please we went to this place called circle k i don't think you have circle k in pennsylvania oh, yeah, yet
1: but it's our version of 7-eleven we do have 7-eleven but circle k is the big thing out there and uh we were getting some milk or something one day, and all of a sudden, I turn around, and there's a guy walking in, and he's packing heat. He's got a, probably a 44 Magnum strapped to his leg. And I'm, you know, I came from back east. I'm ready to dive behind something, assuming immediately, of course, that bad things are about to happen. No, you can, you can carry openly uh, in, uh, in Arizona. It's estimated that 67% of all vehicles are armed, and that's why we are nice when we drive. <laughs> You don't cut people off in Arizona because it could have deadly consequences. That's all there is to it. Now, I've driven on Long Island, so I know what happens when cars are unarmed. They drive like idiots. So anyway, uh, I could all of a sudden, since I live in Arizona, uh, freak God
0: out by whipping out my, my Glock. You freak God out. That, any open theist would say that would freak God out. Really? Really? jibs white jibs white you have very low stability mental stability and you're projecting it on god and taking eric out now let's say god was
1: intending to use eric tomorrow to make a tremendous discovery in the field of what do you do eric there you go. Uh, and <laughs> Eric's going, why did I sit down front and why do I have a name tag on? Um, uh, Eric's going to make a tremendous discovery. Pastor Eric's going to make a
0: tremendous discovery tomorrow. Let's go back to James White's statement. Why did God kill a baby? What if the baby was going to be the next Hitler? <laughs> okay. So maybe that freak got out and he had to eternally kill a baby in order to stop himself from predestining a baby to become Hitler. Great, James White. So this is this is what you're replacing open theism with. You're saying open theism is God's freaked out because uh, his plans might turn out wrong, but in your theory, theory, in your theology, God's plans exist to thwart his other plans, and they don't make any sense, and they're sadistic, and God's killing kids. All right. So so really, in this scenario, what could have happened is in any shooting, there's shootings all the time in, in America. Just pull up the news, find a shooting. In that shooting, God eternally predestined that to happen. For what? For some like ultimate good for the people involved? No, not quite. For God's ultimate glory is the correct answer. The correct answer is God's a sadist and whatever gives him the most pleasure, he does. And so that's the greatest good, actually. So God could just torture every single person in all of humanity uh, for eternity and if that's to his greatest good, if that gives him the most glory, that's what he'll do. There's no rhyme or reason. There's, there's nothing ordinal that will tell us what would happen rather than what doesn't happen. And, and remember, go back to our prediction models. If we're building models of reality, wh- which one's the better one? The one that ex post facto tries to explain things or the one that explains things before they happen? And how does reality work? When you're out about in your daily life, does everything happen for a reason? Does, does, is that what it seems like? Or does it seem like the world is a lot of happenstance and uh, absurdities, right? That God's not controlling everything, that God's not fading everything, that uh, people respond to things as they happen. What, what, what's your day-to-day experience? Hmm? Is open theism, does that have the better model, or does Calvinism?
1: Tomorrow in the field of theology I just wanted you to know that and uh, but uh, and that's what God wants to have happen and Eric's gonna be published and he's gonna travel all over the United States and the church is gonna be greatly blessed but I all of a sudden mess everything up by pulling out my Glock and taking Eric out so
0: now what does God have to do he has to start all over again every so remember in the Bible where God wanted to kill certain people but uh, Israel was defying him and they, he says you saved out of my hand people that I've predestined to die and people who are thwarting God's plans to kill people right How does that work with your theology James White? That's actually a biblical reference and so if you if you listen to my podcast ever and your your name is James White and you're listening to a critique of yourself which would be outstanding um, you might want to try it some often figure out what people are saying wrong about you but uh, if you're listening James White, you know, try to reference the Bible and deal with actual biblical examples, especially when those examples are counter examples to what you're saying, where there's people who do thwart God's plans throughout the Bible. That's that's pretty common in the narrative. And the entire Bible is uh, Israel. Israel's name is uh, Struggles with God. The entire Bible is mankind struggling with God, particularly his chosen people, which time and time thwart God. He, he has to learn how to respond to them. He has to try to woo them. He has to try to punish them. He has to try to, he abandons them. He tries everything he possibly could. Remember the parable of the vineyard, Isaiah? He's like, what more could I have done for you? He's done everything. He has tried everything and they are thwarting him. So the entire Bible is the story of people thwarting God. Uh, literally the entire, this is what the Bible's about. It's the plot of the Bible. And, and James White's like, what if there was no no determinism and uh, things just happened and, and people thwarted God? Imagine if people thwarted God. What? What? That's the Bible. Then we'd be Christians because that would line up to our day-to-day experience and everything we read in the Bible is what it would do. Every day seemingly would, would
1: be an exhausting reworking of a plan that is constantly
0: coming exhausting. God says that uh, he is weary of repenting, weary of repenting. That, that sounds a little bit exhausting, at least mentally exhausting that uh, you you your expectations keep getting thwarted such that uh, you just give up on repenting. hmm huh this is these are God's words about himself. Yahweh says it about himself. James White says, oh oh, oh thanks for talking Yahweh, I don't care what you say. I got my Calvinism. And that trumps anything you could possibly ever say there's, there's no combination of words if found in the Bible that would convince me Calvinism is incorrect. there's no combination of words that would do that. My name is James white
1: to frustration.
0: Now I used a wild example there, but what if I,
1: what if I just simply took some uh, cold medication Uh, that says right on the label, do not operate heavy machinery, but ah, I'm a big guy. I've done it many times before. So I take some cold medication. And I'm out driving at night. I had LASIK surgery a few years ago, and my daytime vision's great, but at night, a little bit of that starry stuff going on, you know? And so you add to that the cold medication, and Eric's walking home someplace, and no more Eric. One
0: little... Did you just give two stories that were pretty much the same, and for what effect? Choice on my part, unforeseen by God.
1: All His great plans for blessing everybody. No Bible. Fifty-eight minutes in. Through Eric's theological insight, and don't bother staying up all night trying to find that thing. It's, I'm just using it as an illustration. All gone. It's history. How does God have a a a plan in that? The plan becomes very vague.
0: Very vague indeed. It's what's going to win. How, when? Yeah, you have kids. What are, what are your plans for your kids? Those those of my audience with children, you want them to grow up. You want them to be happy. You want them to be successful, right? You want them to uh, get married, maybe have kids of their own. That Those are your plans. And you're not going to freaking micromanage your kid. That would be very oppressive as a parent. You'd be a terrible parent. If your plan was, you are going to be a lawyer. Or, you know, there's that tiger mom that everyone... Uh, talks about, she has like a book or something where she forces her kid to play piano all the time and she hates it and her kid hates it. And she's just a miserable person forcing miserable things on her kids because she wants to micromanage her kid's life. Yeah, that's psychotic. That's psychotic. No one likes you, Tiger Mom, because you're just terrible to your child. Your child doesn't even like you. And so, yeah, so James White, does he micromanage his children? Is he that Is he that mentally unstable where he, he tries to... I don't know if he has kids even. That's a scary thought. But does he try to micromanage them? Because he thinks that you have to have these detailed plans, like force them every hour of every day to do everything that you want. No. No. Generally, plans for our kids are vague and allow a lot of leeway and takes into consideration... Think about this. Takes into consideration their own personal wants and desires. If my kid, if he wants to not be a successful doctor or he doesn't want to be a successful businessman, you know, it's fine for him just to live a normal life. It's fine to him, for him to be a truck driver. You know, if if he's happy with it, if it makes him more happy than working 80 hours a week, working maybe 40 hours a week or something, or even working 20 hours a week, you know, if if, if he's happy with his life, I'm happy for him. Yeah. Plans generally are vague and plans usually take in the considerations of the people you're planning for. So what what are we talking about? We're talking about Ezekiel and uh, Ezekiel, God says, you know what you're going to do? You're going to do all these things that are symbolic. And God was forcing him to do this. Ezekiel didn't have a fun life. And he says, you're going to use human poop to cook your food. And Ezekiel says, that's not kosher, Lord. Lord, I spent my entire life living kosherly. And now you're gonna have me cook with human poop can we not do that he's like okay you could cook with cow poop instead and so god took he he reversed his own plans he said this is the plan you will do this and then because of the petitions of his creation because of the petitions of people he loved he changed his own plans for those people right and we find this this is common in the bible that god changes based on the wants desires and needs of his creation
1: With whom? Don't know. God is developing. God is learning. I can't see how we can avoid the idea that he's growing. And one of the...
0: So his fascination with Platonism, James White, focuses him on this perfect being theology where where God is the perfect being and any change would mean that God moves away from this perfection. Therefore, God can't uh, change in any way... Nothing can be added to him. Nothing outside can affect him. Uh, impassibility. He's impassable, immutable, self-sufficient, pure actuality. This is all pagan philosophy. This is not coming from the Bible. This is not biblical theology. You're not going to find biblical authors talking like that. Instead, you'll find biblical authors talking about give-and-take relationships between Yahweh and men, right? That, that's the actual biblical examples that we have of God interacting with creation, not, not this this pagan immutability, impassibility nonsense that nowhere found in the Bible, nowhere found in the Bible. And James White just disregards the entire Bible for his theology, right? One of the questions that people have is, if God
1: has perfect knowledge of the present
0: So yeah, let's go back to that perfect being theology. What about a perfect being that perfectly changes? Like I'm reading a book and it's uh, God's uh, absence and the charismatic uh, presence, something like that. Uh, I'll have to pull it up real quick here. But in it, the author, he, he posits a perfect changing perfection. It's by Kindleberger and it's God's absence and the charismatic presence. Very good book and he says that god is perfect god is everything comes from all the changes come from inside god because god can't receive stuff from the outside and you know in in that sense he's he's mirroring this perfect being theology but he says god's changes are in a perfect manner so what what precludes that mr james white How, how does that uh bump up against your crazy theology you know when 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 philosophy is that subjective you could find answers that, uh, that, that don't quite work for the Calvinists, for the classical theologian, but which fits their problems. So you, you could address their problems and they still won't be happy. How can he
1: have that knowledge? You see, if he has perfect knowledge of the present, if he knows everything there is to know about me, is he really liable to be surprised by what I do?
0: Sometimes, sometimes God says, I expected you, oh, Judah, to change, but you didn't. And your and your sister Israel saw that, and she also uh backslid, right? Right? Sometimes God says that in the Bible, in the Bible, the, the same Bible that you haven't opened up yet, we're at what, uh, almost 59 minutes, we're almost halfway through your talk and no Bible. And so there's some who feel that somewhere down the line, open. Oh. Was that a productive use of your hour for uh, talking about open theism to talk about not open theism for building straw men and not, not even do anything. What have you done in this hour? Open theists to maintain the
1: central plank of their position, which is libertarian free will are going to have to begin to modify God's perfect knowledge of the present as well. And where does that
0: lead? Okay, stick to biblical theology. None of this speculative stuff, okay, James White? Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit little bit of Bible would be helpful. Who's to know? Who's to know? So <coughs> this, of course, for me, is, is the central issue. I mean, um, if you have your... Yeah, because the central issue is not the Bible for you. That's pretty clear. Your
1: scriptures with you, and I don't know which translation this is. It looks like the King James, so we'll, that's, that'll work fine. Is that, is that what it is?
0: That's, hey, it'll work. Isaiah chapter 41. Oh, well, look at this. Look, the Bible finally. Okay, we are uh, 59 minutes in and 25 seconds. So about halfway through his lecture, he opens up the Bible, and now he's reading the Bible. But we're already at an uh, hour and 10 minutes. And so we're going to have to come back to his uh, biblical stuff at some other podcast and uh, address his biblical concerns. But, you know, uh, we learned a lot today about uh, all his perf- personal preferences. We learned last time about city sizes and the weather in Texas or Arizona and times in the hospital. So we learned a lot about nothing already. So it's great that we're opening the Bible finally after an hour. So thank you for bearing with me. I know this has been painful. This might be the two most painful podcasts we've ever done because it's, it's a lot of nothing. It's a lot of James white talking to himself and to, he's preaching to a choir who laughs at his jokes that I, is, are his jokes funny Are his antidotes? Are they clever? Do they contribute to anything? He just talks. It's like a dude just talking, but uh, all right, we'll be back maybe next time. Maybe, maybe we'll have to do break this up a little and do some other podcasts first and uh, kind of give us some distance from James White for a while. But uh, thank you for listening. If you have any questions, send that to godisopenquestions at gmail.com. Thanks again.